You're listening to the Cyberwire Network, powered by N2K. And now, a message from Cyberbit. Mastering cybersecurity is like mastering a sport. You build muscle memory through rigorous practice. Then you train as a team to foster cohesion while operating under pressure. Like athletes, cybersecurity professionals thrive on hands-on simulation. But traditional courses, certifications, and open-source labs won't build you a winning team. You need Cyberbit. Cyberbit offers a hyper-realistic simulation environment for your SOC, IR, and C-suite to refine your skills. All using the market-leading SIMs, EDRs, firewalls, and WAFs they use every day. Cyberbit is offering CyberWire listeners a free live-fire exercise. Sign up your team now at cyberbit.com slash cyberwire. WikiLeaks dumps more of Vault 7. There's more attribution of WannaCry to North Korea, where Hidden Cobra and the Lazarus Group appear to be one and the same. Fin 10 cyber criminals are asking U.S. and Canadian businesses for a big payoff to head off a big doxing. Conventional ransomware hits British universities. Kaspersky and Avast release free decryptors for JAP and Encryptile. The ISAC process seems to be working. And patch early, patch often. I'm Dave Bittner in Baltimore with your CyberWire summary for Friday, June 16th, 2017. It's been a week of patching news. If there were any patch skeptics out there, if they've been paying attention, they ought to have a moment of clarity. Not only did Microsoft take the unusual step of reaching back into the grave of beyond end-of-life Windows software to fix the ghosts of operating systems past, but WikiLeaks is back too. Julian Assange's persistent gadflies yesterday released another tranche of files from their Vault 7, which they claim consists of leaked CIA hacking tools. The documents in this round concentrate on exploits affecting at least 25 home router models, including devices from Linksys and D-Link. That number could be considerably higher, observers are saying. With relatively minor modifications, the implant could be used against upwards of 100 models. The principal implant described in the leaks, it's called Cherry Blossom, is said to have been used since 2007. Updated routers are probably not susceptible to this particular form of exploitation, which ought to provide yet another reason to patch these usually ignored and all-too-easily-overlooked devices. We know it's tough, and we're certainly not going to cast the first stone with respect to home Wi-Fi devices. Still, good hygiene might as well start at home. Consider putting a bright 10-year-old in charge if you've got one of those knocking around the house. The Washington Post reports that the NSA is attributing the WannaCry ransomware campaign with moderate confidence to North Korean espionage services. Much of that confidence derives, of course, from the sort of circumstantial evidence long cited by Symantec, Kaspersky, Dell SecureWorks, and others. Telefonico's 11-Path Security Research Unit is among those pointing to countervailing circumstantial evidence, some of it linguistic clues and metadata, but consensus is moving swiftly toward DPRK attribution. In the alert U.S. CERT issued earlier this week, for example, the FBI and the Department of Homeland Security explicitly identified the hidden Cobra threat actor with the Lazarus Group, which of course is widely held to be a DPRK security service. 
So why the wild sloppiness and direct conventional criminality so many discern in Hidden Cobra and the Lazarus Group? A long piece in Wired, citing conversations with FireEye analysts and others, suggests that from Pyongyang's point of view, there's more rationality here than might appear under Western eyes. North Korea is an international pariah and knows it. It's subject to heavy sanctions, and these bite deeply into its economy. It has powerful enemies, and even its nominal friends really don't care for it very much. So the DPRK will grasp at whatever asymmetrical advantage it can. It will also look for ways to grab much-needed money, and if bank robbery will do it, then bank robbery will do, as the Bangladesh Bank and the New York Federal Reserve learned firsthand. As far as the indiscriminate opportunism of attacks in cyberspace, well, if you've got little to lose, why not? Extortion in both its familiar forms, embarrassing doxing and ransomware, surfaced again this week. FireEye has described a group, Fin10, which is seeking to extort Bitcoin from North American businesses. They're demanding, it seems, between 100 and 500 Bitcoin in payment, which equates at current rates to between 247,000 and 1,237,000 U.S. dollars. So this isn't lowball extortion. The threat is doxing and disruption. Fin10 will put sensitive corporate data up on Pastebin if they've not paid within 10 days. After the 10-day deadline expires, documents will be posted every 72 hours. Once all the documents are out, and if they still haven't been paid, the crooks threaten that, quote, your computer network will be taken down in a large-scale attack, end quote. The criminals pose as known Serbian or Russian cyber gangs using the names Angels of Truth, Tesla Team, and Anonymous Threat Agent, but FireEye thinks that's probably misdirection. Their English is too good, their Russian too poor to carry off the imposture, and their familiarity with Canadian and American targets suggest a lot of local knowledge. More conventional ransomware has disrupted at least two British universities this week, University College London and Ulster University. The institutions are in the process of recovery. There's some good news this week, too. First, on the ransomware front, two security firms have released recovery tools. Kaspersky has released a free decryptor for JAF ransomware, and Avast has done the same for EncryptTile. So bravo, Kaspersky, and bravo, Avast. There's also some good news in the midst of the very bad news about the crash override industrial control system malware that's been identified in the 2016 Ukrainian grid hack. The silver lining here is that the ISAC process seems to be working. We spoke with representatives of the DNG ISAC and the American Gas Association this morning, and they told us that while the threat to their sector is as great as the threat to the electrical power distribution system, they were pleased with how quickly their members responded to the quiet warnings Dragos sounded to them last Friday. Their guards up and mitigations are in place. So bravo, Dragos. Every day, your IAM tech debt grows. Your multi-generational services struggle to work together. Building an identity fabric can fix this. It makes all your identity tooling stronger and allows you to connect any app to any service you want to use with zero coding, zero maintenance, and zero app downtime. Strata's identity orchestration platform separates the identity logic from your applications so you can optimize existing IAM tools and manage them in a single control plane. Now, every vendor, standard, and architecture work together. 
In short, building your identity fabric means you can secure your non-standard apps, keep your complex access policies, retire outdated IDPs, and modernize in record time. So build your fabric with Strata Identity and get rid of tech debt for good. Visit strata.io slash cyberwire, share your identity priorities, and receive a pair of AirPods Pro. Offer valid for organizations over 5,000 employees. Connect today at strata.io slash cyberwire. And now a word from our sponsor, Sixth Sense. Sixth Sense provides award-winning cloud-based automated endpoint and vulnerability management solutions to streamline IT and security operations. With its advanced platform, businesses gain complete visibility and control over their infrastructure, reducing IT and security risks and optimizing operational efficiency. With Sixth Sense, you'll get real-time alerts, risk-based vulnerability prioritization and remediations, and an intuitive automation and orchestration engine so you can focus on your core business goals. Confident in the knowledge that your enterprise is secure, compliant, and running smoothly. To learn why enterprises choose Sixth Sense, visit SixthSense.com. Joining me once again is Marcus Roschecker. He's the Cybersecurity Program Manager at the University of Maryland Center for Health and Homeland Security. Uh, Marcus, uh, great to have you back. Uh, saw a story come by on the Hill, uh, and it was about the new cybersecurity laws coming from China. Uh, give us a breakdown here. What are we dealing with? Yeah, everyone's watching this very closely. China has passed a cybersecurity law, a pretty comprehensive law. Um, and as I said, everyone's watching it very closely to see uh, what this will mean. Businesses are concerned that uh, this law is very vague and very broad, and businesses are thinking they don't really know how to necessarily comply with the law. There's a lot of questions about some of the terminology in the law and what the requirements will be that are placed on businesses that are that are doing business in China. So um, there's a lot of uncertainty and a lot of unease about this new law coming through. Uh, at the same time, human rights Experts are also very uh, concerned about this law, again, for because of its vagueness and, and in some cases, outright um, censorship provisions uh, in the law that will put a limit on you know freedom of expression and other um, statements that might be critical towards the towards the state. Uh, the law is going into effect, and um, you know we'll have to see what the what the outcome will be. Of course, China is saying that this law, a big part of it is to improve the privacy for their citizens, but uh, that's being met with some skepticism. Absolutely. To its credit, China is trying to address the cybersecurity issue, as most countries are. Certainly, there are many human rights organizations that are seeing this law with a great deal of skepticism because there are provisions within the law that call for a lot of uh, monitoring and privacy invasions and outright censorship of certain activities online. So that certainly um, goes against um, a lot of the human rights values that uh, that are generally accepted. But uh, China argues that some of these restrictions are necessary if uh, it is to secure its networks and its internet. 
and provide for greater security. One of the issues that uh, multinational corporations specifically are looking at uh, in terms of this law are these restrictions on cross-border data flows. Uh, this is of special concern to these businesses because, as we all know, these multinational corporations are moving data around the world continuously, 24-7. Uh, so this new Chinese law actually restricts that data flow. Uh, the law says that any data that's generated within China must be kept in China and stored in China. So this is of special concern to a lot of businesses who are multinational, who are moving data around, uh, to have this new restriction placed on them. That provision may or may not apply to every business. It applies specifically to, quote, critical information infrastructure, but no one's really sure what that means. There's, that term isn't really defined. So there's just a lot of uncertainty about the law in general and about these specific provisions that are creating a lot of uh, unease for businesses that are operating in China. All right. Well, it certainly bears watching. Marcus Rolschecker, thanks for joining us. Are lengthy security reviews pulling attention away from your security program? With the largest network of trust centers, Vanta can help you streamline security reviews to win customer trust, save time, and close deals fast. Proactively demonstrate security by showcasing key resources like your SOC 2 or ISO 27001 and provide real-time evidence for passing controls. And when a security questionnaire is required, Vanta takes the first pass for you. Visit vanta.com slash cyber to take a self-serve tour. That's vanta.com slash cyber. My guest today is Jocelyn Aqua. She's a partner with PwC, focusing on emerging technology and data protection laws. Prior to that, she spent several years in senior positions at the U.S. Department of Justice. She joins us today to discuss the results of a PwC survey, a revolutionary partnership, how artificial intelligence is pushing man and machine closer together. Both industry and consumers were extremely enthusiastic about the potential for, for AI, that they started to reap the benefits in their personal lives, just from music and, and exercise trackers and things to that effect where they're seeing choices provided to them based on the, their realizing AI and, and voice recognition, they see that the potential for medical breakthroughs and other life-changing technology advancements are going to happen within the next few decades, and they see how exciting it is. That said, they also, one, one important part, which I thought was interesting, is the top issue, privacy and cybersecurity, but they thought that that would be resolved immensely by AI. Cyber and privacy are both significant concerns. But one of the things that I've, I found and a little disconcerting is that 87% of the folks surveyed thought privacy was a major concern of using AI. And so the reason why I got looped in is because I um, am a privacy lawyer by trade, and now I'm a consultant to industry who are looking at trying to strategically think about these emerging tech issues from a, and, and build privacy in. And so it's while it's clear that in the cyber side, um, we are using AI to do a lot of, of beneficial things now, scanning for vulnerabilities and seeking patterns for attribution and ensuring that, you know, systems are being monitored and that's only going to get better and only more successful and we're going to improve our cybersecurity. 
But at the same time, I think there is a significant concern about what the other side of AI is, whether AI is going to be used to hack into systems, to inject malware, to dupe other AI. And the longer and more complex that the systems are, how can humans be intervening in in observing what's going on? My most important takeaway was the fact that there is a lot of room for considerations of the trustworthiness of AI and the privacy and the ethics that come with that. Do you think that 87% number reflects the reality of the situation? In other words, does that align with uh, what we see on the technical side is what would be a reasonable concern when it comes to privacy and AI? I do. I think that, you know, every day there's another data breach, there's another hack. There's so much information about the benefits of AI. Um, One of the things I, I thought was very comforting is that while this is such a concern, what people want to do with their data is really be able to share it. You know, a significant portion of of the respondents also said that they recognize that their data could be used for medical breakthroughs to improve the lives of others. But they want to make sure that it's going to be secure, that it's not used in the back end to discriminate against them, that they want to be able to share data in a protected way and they want AI to be used this way. And so the concern is on multiple factors. It's multiple issues. So I think that what my goal would be is to work with companies and work with our teams in-house here to really start thinking about all of the privacy and trust issues that come with building these these new products and the new technology and, and, and what to do to resolve that now while we're starting out and build that into the systems and build that into the, the academic world that's thinking about these issues. One of the words that was uh, sprinkled throughout the report was this notion of amplification. And, and uh, it strikes me that part of what people are looking toward AI to do is not necessarily replace the the, the humans in, in the equation, the things that the, that the humans do, but to provide uh, a sort of um, a backup or, or an advisor or a, like a, a multiplier um, to allow people to process and handle more data than they'd be able to do, but still partner with the people. Yeah, that's true. And I, I think it's being used and, and a lot of tools are being developed to prevent computers from being hacked to make sure that there's no insider threat type of issue where people are accessing things they shouldn't. Um, AI is is really going to solve a lot of our cybersecurity problems. That said, there is the human part of it that still needs to happen because of the intuition, because because be able to look at everything and really know know what's going on in a system and then being able to make a real assessment. In fact, If you think about it, in terms of of making these decisions, it doesn't benefit humanity if there's a decision by AI that just gives you the answer, but not how they arose to the answer. So if they can point out where in a population is most likely to get certain type of cancer, but can't get, get you to the understanding of where they came up with that using all of the additional technology that's being inputted into the AI and the data, it doesn't solve all of the problems that humanity needs. And so having that conversation between human and AI is essential. And it's not the underlying problem now. We're not at that stage yet. But to not think through these issues now, that when you're using it to amplify, at one point, we suspect and we we see from the, the investment and driverless cars and all of these areas of 
autonomous AI, that this is something that we need to think about now while we're building our systems, while we're advising strategically on how to build in privacy and trust and ethics, is for all of that. That's Jocelyn Aqua from PwC. The report, A Revolutionary Partnership, How AI is Pushing Man and Machine Closer Together, can be found on the PwC website. And that's the Cyberwire. We are proudly produced in Maryland by our talented team of editors and producers. I'm Dave Bittner. Thanks for listening. And now, a word from our sponsor, Zscaler, the leader in cloud security. Cyber attackers are using AI in creative ways to compromise users and breach organizations. In a security landscape where you must fight AI with AI, the best AI protection comes from having the best data. Zscaler has extended its zero-trust architecture with powerful AI engines that are trained and tuned by 500 trillion daily signals. Learn more about Zscaler Zero Trust plus AI to prevent ransomware and AI attacks. Experience your world secured. Visit zscaler.com slash zero trust AI.